Welcome to St. Tom's Online. Please find our latest sermon. Good morning, everybody. Hopefully you've just heard Philippians 4, verses 4 to 7, just read out wonderfully. And I hope furthermore that you have a version in front of you, either by way of a physical copy or on a screen. And I really won't take it personally if you minimise my screen for your Bible. So just in case you missed it, that's Philippians 4, verses 4 to 7. Now, to be honest with you, and here's a little insight into what church life behind the scenes is like. I was very much caught off guard when I was told I was preaching this morning. I was working at my desk and Sean walks over and says, you're doing Sunday, October 11th, and then walks off. So naturally, I panic slightly because I don't much like being on screen, much less when it's for 10 minutes with a supposedly important message. Yeah, that's right, 10 minutes, settle in. But I digress. My heart lifted somewhat when I saw that I had the option of four verses to speak on. So I'd like to start by apologising to anyone with a deep and profound connection to Exodus 32, Psalm 106 and Matthew 22. But Philippians 4 is, is a verse that I've been uh, attracted to. Can you be attracted to a Bible verse? The, the, it's a verse that I've been very connected to and it means a lot to me. And uh, I'll get to that why in a minute. But I want to start by breaking it down verse by verse, starting with verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. There's something that you'll find with these verses. that They're, they're not suggestions. They're, it's not a suggestion. It's not an idea. It's not a thought. It's a command. Or a challenge, if you like. Um, what a challenge that is. How hard is it to rejoice in the Lord always? It's alright if you're in the mood or if you're ready for it. But when life serves you a really rubbish day, a really terrible, miserable, tired, frustrated, nothing's going your way day, how hard is it to rejoice in the Lord? I'll be the first to admit I haven't always felt like rejoicing in the Lord. Like when you're turned down for a job or you're having trouble financially, you don't always feel like immediately rejoicing. But there are three reasons why you should. And these three reasons are something that are helpful to remember when you don't feel like rejoicing in the Lord. And again, I'll point out in case you're wondering why you should, rejoice in the Lord always. And rejoicing doesn't have to mean that you're jumping up and shouting and dancing and waving your arms around. No, no rejoicing can be, it can be quiet. It, it can simply be a quick thank you, a, a, an internal conversation between yourself and God. But there are two things we should rejoice in. We should rejoice in knowing who and whose we are, and we should rejoice in eternal prospect. That's two, two out of a dozen other things we should rejoice in, but, but two that stand out. And I know a minute ago I said three, but I can't be bothered to go back and film myself correcting that. So it's two, not three reasons. Something that the Bible promises us is that we are loved so much by God as his children, as his creation. I think anyone who's been around the church for even just a little while would have come across the verse John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And this is a sermon we will hear emphasised time and time again, and rightly so. It's the ultimate sacrifice that really shows how deep God's love runs for us, that he would send his only child through all the worst torment and pain that we can't even begin to comprehend physically, mentally, none of it. So we should rejoice. Rejoice because we know we are loved. Jesus knew exactly who he was, and more importantly, whose he was. That meant that he carried a confidence, the confidence of someone who is secure in the knowledge that they belong. Not necessarily to an earthly family, though Jesus did have his earthly family, not all of us are so fortunate. But he knew he belonged to his father up in heaven, 
same as we do. If we could carry that same confidence into our daily lives, how powerful and unstoppable our testimony would be in him. A little further up the passage in Philippians, we have verse 13. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. It's better known through the New King James Version. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The combined confidence we should take from these two verses alone is incredible. To know that we belong to God, that we are loved by God so much that there is nothing that we cannot do with him on our side. There's a reason to rejoice in the Lord always. So rejoice in knowing who and whose you are. When it's been a tough day at work, or you've had to fight, or, or, or you're just generally feeling down, I encourage you to remember who it is we all belong to. And at the end of the day, it's him who gives us our strength. To help some men in this thinking, I'll speak from experience and be honest in that I struggled with confidence a lot throughout my time at college. Specifically my first year there, I hated the way I looked. The, the way I sounded and what I assumed other people's perceptions of me were. I struggled so much that I simply wouldn't turn up to my lessons because it meant I'd have to walk through the college building and be seen by people. But all that changed. Four years on, I've left college with good grades, having started attending lessons again, and I left college with confidence in whose I was. And it wasn't immediate, and sometimes it still feels like it's an ongoing progression. But I learned that my confidence shouldn't be born out of physical attractiveness determined by our media and the ridiculous and unrealistic expectations they have on people's physical beauty. But instead, my confidence should come from knowing who I am and whose I am, because the Lord himself, my creator, tells us that we're designed in his image. Which is perfect, by the way. He tells us that he knew us and he crafted us in our mother's womb, before the world has a chance to see us and judge us. He has already created us to our own unique perfection. Most importantly, his love for us is so great that there is literally nothing that will ever make him not love us. So rejoice in knowing who and whose you are. Something that struck me recently, and I'm aware it's not necessarily a new idea, but it's that our time on earth is very, 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 very short. Very short at least compared to the promise of eternity with God and our brothers and sisters in Christ. So in terms of confidence, I think it's easy to get caught up in a moment or a situation and forget, one, whose we are, and two, this moment or this situation is merely a little smudge, a tiny mark on the timeline of our lives on earth. And an even tinier little dot on a timeline of time generally. So whilst I understand it's not so easy to wrap our heads around something so massive and something that feels so immediate, but I think it's actually a great comfort when we realise that our time on earth is actually very insignificant compared to our eternity with God. So rejoice in knowing who and whose you are and rejoice in the eternal prospect. Verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. I don't know how many of you have found yourselves joining Christian Facebook groups, if any, but I know I have. Uh, they can be great little communities that have members worldwide where you share stories, prayers, etc, etc. But one thing that I've noticed is that as soon as you have a conflicting opinion, that there's always a full-on keyboard war. Um, and it's, it's never out of love. And, and it's definitely not gentle. And I remember one time making a joke. I can't remember what exactly, but it was silly and non-significant to the message. I got strapped called a worshipper of Satan. 
These arguments were put forward arrogantly and under no effort to be of God or for the purpose of spreading God's message. These arguments were put forward under the intention of being right. People in this group, this Christian group, were so caught up with being right all the time that they would gain credit or recognition. There was no attempt to even come together despite our different beliefs on what a specific passage or verse meant. But when there was an occurrence, unfortunately it was a very rare occurrence, where two or more of us came together with respect and love and the intention of finding God's message for us over our lives, we found so much more as a community. There's so much more to be gained when we come together in gentleness. Proverbs um, 15.1 reads, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And this spells out exactly how we should speak to others. And it's actually another form of worship or a way of rejoicing when we use our spiritual gentleness, one of the Beatitudes, to help our neighbours, which of course is the golden rule of the Bible, to love our neighbour. Verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I mentioned it was a verse that's been on my heart, and it's a verse that's been on my heart for a while because its core message is one of no fear and one of peace. I've been very honest in the past because I think it's important that I'd suffered really quite badly with anxiety and fear of all sorts of things, specifically a fear of things to come, to the point that I made myself physically unwell and prevented myself from sleeping. But it was this verse as well as a number of others, but, but this verse was a key one that I would read and reread and reread again and again and again because it struck me. I wasn't merely saying we didn't need to be anxious or that this was a verse as well as a number of others, uh, but this verse was a key one that I would read and reread and reread again and again and again because it struck me. It wasn't merely saying we didn't need to be anxious, although we didn't have to be anxious. It, it, again, it reads more like a command. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. And I think that the message more now than ever is very important. There's a lot of fear around the world at the minute. Fear is the enemy's weapon. But the word of God is explicit here. Do not be anxious about anything. Why? Because God is in control. God is the creator, not just of the universe, not just of the galaxy or the solar system or the planet Earth, not just of the mountains and the atmosphere and the oceans and the deserts and the fields and the trees, flowers, wildlife and livestock. He is the creator of every intricate detail. Physical, mental that make us who we are. Every promise he makes is a promise he keeps. And one of my favourite of his promises can be found in Psalm 91, verses 4 to 6. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings will you find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. So rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Rejoice in knowing who you are. Rejoice in knowing whose you are. And rejoice in knowing that you are so well loved that you never need to 